fall. <laughs> you are alone, child. There is only darkness for you, and only death for your people. These ancients are just the beginning. I will command a great and terrible army. We will sail to a billion worlds. We will sail until every light has been extinguished. You are strong, child. But I am beyond strength. I am the end. And I have come for you. Power in the verse can stop me. What's going on, guys? My name is Alden Arrow, and welcome to episode 114 of the Midnight Hour. I may sound a little bit under the weather today. Um, I had like this, you know, magical cold that just arrives every now and then and stays for a day and then leaves me in peace. And I always feel like I have to gear up for like a chest infection or something, and it never comes, and it's really strange. Should probably go to the doctor about it. Anyway, um, thank you for the feedback on last week's episode. Um, there were a fair few comments and tweets and stuff uh, across the different uh, social network platforms that I have that were like quite positive and said, um, and, and basically in the vein of, oh, it's fine that you didn't have a guest. It was still a good episode and things like that. So that's really cool. Um, it was like the first time I'd really just pressed record and started talking since I did that episode about depression. And uh, while I didn't really have it properly formed out in my head, it was still quite cool to do. And um, I, I always like I have this urge to record like all the fucking time. And uh, the main reason that I don't is that I, I don't want to bombard people with like uh, unfiltered thoughts and things like that that I have. So today I have something a, a little bit more planned out in mind to talk about. And I hope that it's interesting. Um, gonna talk a little bit about the prison system I, I don't really I, I can't think of a better way of um, of introducing it than that but I'm, I'm not gonna talk about like the actual system itself overly because I don't know a whole lot about it uh, on any like huge scale like I don't have any real insight on this topic that isn't freely available to anybody online um, and it's it's definitely not like a specialist subject for me or anything like that um, I was watching the True Geordie podcast one time when um, they were talking about uh, terrorism in the UK. Uh, that's, I think, episode 42 or something like that. And at the start of it, um, True Geordie himself says, we're not the people for this podcast. Um, we usually make a fun episode, but this is just something that we're going to talk about. And that's kind of how I feel here. Like, um, I, I actually, I really liked that um, that introduction that he did because, like, it, it was really honest. Like, at no point did he proclaim himself to be some kind of expert. And that's something that I'm really afraid of doing on this podcast. Like, I kind of feel like I have to preface things with, like, this isn't really my chosen area. Um, I do it all the time when I talk about guns in America. Like, I, I just, I don't live in America. So I, I have no concept for their like like to me it seems like they have this religious affiliation with the second amendment that i just could not possibly ever wrap my head around like um that whole embedded notion of freedom and fear of a of a tyrannical overlord and stuff like it, it doesn't apply to me and it's crazy because i'm irish and i have spent a large portion of my life being indoctrinated into this in, into like roughly the same anti-British fear that the Americans have like I am um, you know it, I, it's just it's so strange like I, I live in a country that's had an armed revolution against the British the exact same way that America did uh, but for like we don't have the Second Amendment and therefore we don't have this uh, connection with guns that the Americans have and it's really strange and um, anyway when I talk about that I, I'd like to think I don't do it from a condescending level um, because I always preface it by saying like I don't live there so I just I don't understand it like and, and that's what it is it, like that is a purely American concept to me and not one that I can get my head around 
Um, so it's the same thing with with this episode. I'm going to talk about um, pretty much just my um, my thoughts on certain things uh, to do with prison and the way that I see it um, from the point of view of a guy who's not an expert. I feel like that is a sufficiently long fucking introduction. Uh, so anyway, if you guys want to talk to me about this, um, if you guys have any insight, uh, it would be pretty cool if you posted it, like, you know, post post a comment, post on the subreddit, which has been very inactive of late. Also, um, I sell merch and uh, I, I get the odd notification um, every now and then like that someone has bought some merch and that's really cool. Um, I am going to try and do a kind of a sale promotion on my merch so if you click the link in the description uh, if there's not some kind of special link that gives you a certain percentage off uh, fine whatever maybe you can still buy stuff um, but if there is a special link in the description it's like society6.com slash and and maybe I'll have some kind of code that you can enter at checkout so that you can buy stuff um, it is like really high quality stuff uh, and it's 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 like like you know don't buy it if you don't want it it's not a way to support me or anything i i get very little revenue from it um i just think it's really cool um that people want to like represent you know the midnight hour in in, in that kind of way um and that's pretty cool for me like um i buy merch from um I, i've bought merch from podcasts that i've listened to before and it's you know there's there's this really rare moment where you're wearing a t-shirt and someone recognizes it and like you're in a pub and there's like a conversation point there with a stranger and it's just I, I have this t-shirt that's um it's the promotional poster for the theater musical the night man cometh from uh, it's always sunny in philadelphia it's like a, it's like a bootleg t-shirt um but sometimes i'll wear that on a night out and just the odd conversation strikes up and it's it's a lot of fun now saying that that will never happen with the midnight hour because there are so few listeners and the world is such a large place <laughs> they're all scattered all over the world but you never know one time i was actually sitting next to a guy on my bus home and he was listening to the midnight hour and i didn't say anything uh, but also, I'd say proportionally, there are probably more listeners in in my town of to the midnight hour than like in any other town because this is where I'm from, and uh, a lot of people would know me from um, uh, my associations with you know uh, people and things like that. So anyway, um, as I said, this this subject is is not a specialist area for me. If I get things wrong, you know, call me out on it. Give me your insights. Um, be polite too. Um, like I'd, ideally I'd actually like to have an expert on the prison system come on my show and discuss it that would be the thing to do but I haven't really been able to secure anybody and it's Friday now as I record this and I really want there to be a podcast today um, but one of the things that struck me was when business insider journalist uh, Michelle Mark who has been on the podcast on two occasions possibly three um, she mentioned this story of a woman who like basically signed for a FedEx package on behalf of her drug dealer boyfriend and ended up with some like impossible prison sentence because of it and this was because of some new reform brought in uh, about being tough on crime and I'll talk about that a little bit later but um, I, I, I just I couldn't think of any real benefit to society of having a woman like that behind bars like is it even likely to teach her some kind of lesson about the man that she enters into a relationship with in the future. Um, I don't know. Uh, but when I was in school uh, around the age of 16, possibly, um, we had this class called religion. And um, in, in my earlier uh, years in education, religion class was all about Jesus and um, diff different layers of the Bible, stuff like being a good Samaritan, but also the the Old Testament eye for an eye stuff, uh, mostly New Testament things about being a good person. Um, but by the time I had gotten to my fourth school, um, which was down in a, a small town in Ireland, um, religion had been repurposed as basically moral development under the name of religion now it's actually currently an exam subject in ireland and i think that i was one of the last years to do religion before it became an exam subject it certainly wasn't offered up as an exam subject in my school and if it was i would have gotten a much fucking better score on my leaving cert i'd say um but anyway this teacher of this class like he really did not care about anything in the world um, he was very clearly fed up with his life. He had a voice that almost said, 
lads, I hate my life. <laughs> Yet this class somehow played a very large part in shaping my moral code. Um, at the time of the me being in this class, I was a huge supporter of the death penalty. I thought it was a perfectly fitting end for somebody who chooses to inflict such suffering on a person and uh, you know like a, a crime against society and things like that um, I was a much different person back then like I, I don't think that you guys would actually believe me if I said some of the things that I believed in at the time um, but thankfully I, I moved on um, but this class played a huge part in in showing me that light and it's strange to me because when I think of it now like just the teacher was just so utterly disinterested um but we learned about this man called robert alton harris who was a real low life and he spent his childhood in and out of juvenile detention centers and basically seemed destined for a life of exponentially despicable crimes um when this guy was 13 years old he was convicted uh, for like Grand Theft Auto, he, st he stole a couple of cars or something like that. Um, at age 16, he was convicted for the same thing yet again. When he was 20, he was married, and at 21, he had a son. But when he was 22, he was convicted of involuntary manslaughter because he beat a man to death. And the reason why it was involuntary manslaughter and not a murder charge was because the judge ruled it to be an act of self-defense. Um, the argument from Robert Alton Harris was that he was protecting the man's wife and that this was an honest attempt to defend a woman from a violent man. Uh, but this actually got overturned and it was eventually ruled as, um, as murder. I don't know when down the line it happened, um, but that's what happened. So when Robert Alton Harris was 25 years old, he decided to rob a bank with his brother Daniel. I, I think I think um, he had eight or nine siblings. It was a huge family. I think there might have been nine kids in total. Um, so he would have had eight siblings. And his brother Daniel was only 18 at the time. And they were looking for a car to steal to do this bank job. And um, just something that they could use for the, for the robbery itself and then burn it afterwards. So like a stolen vehicle, that's a, a really common thing the criminals still do. Uh, so on the day of the robbery, they saw these two 16-year-old boys eating burgers in their car in the car park of a supermarket. And the boy who owned the car, his name was John Mayeski, and he had just gotten his driver's license, like literally that day. And to celebrate, he was going to go fishing with his friend. This was the 60s, I think. Um, so Robert Alton Harris got in the car and pointed the gun at the two boys and was like, you know, we're going to drive to a nearby lake. And what's going to happen is I'm going to use this car for a bank robbery, but nobody is going to get hurt. So, like, don't worry. Uh, but eventually when they got to the lake, he shot both of the teenagers, killed them both. And then he ate their burgers. Uh, which just the, the whole eating of the burgers part just really nails down the lack of empathy that this guy had and it seems like so like it's such a heinous thing to do anyway right this guy has just murdered two teenagers but to then just eat the food they were eating like it's just it's so it, it makes it so personal and and so dark um but anyway him and his brother Daniel robbed the bank that same day and literally an hour later they both got arrested and in a weird twist of fate it turned out that the boy the other boy um the guy who didn't own the car his name was Michael Baker this the other 16 year old he was actually the son of the police officer who arrested uh, Robert Alton Harris and neither of them actually knew about that coincidence until later on but that that's a really weird type of thing um and and again it just adds another layer of of personal impact to this crime like this is is just so brutal um, and Robert Alton Harris got sentenced to death by poisonous gas in San Quentin prison and his last words were you can be the king or a street sweeper but everybody dances with the grim reaper and he got executed in 1992 I think he was 37 or 38 um, when he got killed so on face value so far there's not really a whole lot wrong with this decision from the state like this guy was a fucking scumbag and he his crimes were so heinous and so um, just personal um, uh, like such a dark layer of brutality to them 
that you really can't blame the state for this decision. But when I look at his backstory, I actually find it really difficult to hold him morally responsible for these crimes. Robert Alton Harris was born two months premature because his father kicked his mother repeatedly in the abdomen while she was pregnant. Both of his parents were alcoholics and Robert himself was actually a sufferer of fetal alcohol syndrome, meaning that his mother's alcoholism didn't stop while she was pregnant. Robert's father was paranoid that his wife had been cheating on him and that Robert wasn't actually his own son, that he was an illegitimate bastard child, which made Robert a target of abuse from his father from a very young age. And Robert's father also got jailed on two separate occasions for sexually abusing Robert's sisters, uh, which were like, you know, those, those are the man's daughters. Um, when Robert Alton Harris went to Juvenile Hall at the age of 13, he was repeatedly raped and sexually assaulted. And when he got out of juvie at the age of 14, his mother abandoned him and he was literally left to fend for himself at the age of 14. Like, this guy never had a chance to develop any kind of moral code and he was never taught any ethical responsibility. Like, the entire framing of this guy's life was in a context of something that like you'd find in a jungle amongst animals where violence is the dominant currency and anything that isn't like tough enough is just there to be preyed upon like this is such a primitive and violent existence that this guy had in his formative years like who knows what would have happened if he had spent his time in juvenile halls being rehabilitated and and taught like, you know, moral teachings and ethics building and, and civic responsibility and, and education. Um, like, you would imagine it would be a much different story. And obviously, there's no way to know for sure. And, like, some people are just damaged. Um, like, this guy could have been beyond help and he could have been so broken by his life experience that it wouldn't be possible to repair him. But I think it's really deeply upsetting that he never had a chance in his life um, and it, it, it's a tragedy how badly the system let him down and I'm sure there are people listening to this that are thinking like yeah but he killed people how do you have no empathy for the victims um, and it, it, it's not that I, I think that that is is like you know I, I think of that and I have a, a great deal of sympathy for the um, the two teenagers who were just celebrating the fact that one of them had gotten a driver's license like you know on, on top of the world and then they get their lives taken away like that is absolutely awful um, it's more that I can see a path where this situation could have been avoided and there's this old joke about social workers or like strong liberal types where there's a man lying in the street with a face fully battered and bloody and a social worker walks past and says Wow, whoever did that to him really needs help. But anyway, um, within three years of being released from prison in America, 68% of ex-convicts are re-arrested. And within five years of being released, that number rises to 77%. Like, that is a mind-boggling number. That Nearly four-fifths of the people who come out of penitentiaries are 80%, no, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's not how statistics work. Four fifths, nearly four fifths of the people who come out of prison are going back in there within five years. Like that is just so obviously not a system that works. Like the system of punishment in prison is just not a deterrent, nor is it a transformative enough experience to stop people from carrying out criminal activities. And, and there's obviously a litany of social and environmental and economic factors that contribute to this curious statistic. And another crazy statistic actually is that one in every 110 adults in America are in prisons or county jails. And one in every 51 adults in America are on probation or parole. And that is a higher incarceration rate than any other developed country um, and, and that is more people in some phase of the American correctional system than any other country in the world. Uh, like, it, it, it's just, it, it absolutely baffles me. Um, and it's just, those numbers are just beyond belief. Um, and, and like, does that mean that Americans are more violent than other people or more crazy than other people? Uh, it, it's really, it's really weird. But they do have some strange policies when it comes to prison sentences, um, particularly when it comes to things like narcotics. Um, I, I think one of the main failings of the system is to view 
um, addiction as a criminal offense rather than a like a an issue for a hospital um, a health issue you know maybe even bordering on like mental illness issue but certainly not some kind of moral failing that lets the state down to the degree that you have to spend years behind bars. Um, there's a story about this guy called Bernard Noble, or maybe it's Bernard because it's America. Um, but this is a guy who had no history of violence. He did have a criminal record, but it was for like petty crimes and, and, and petty drug possessions and things like that. But this guy got arrested in the year 2010 and got sentenced to 13 and a half fucking years in prison for drug possession and that's a really long time right 13 and a half years for drug possession so you, you got to be thinking that this guy was holding like 400 million dollars worth of cocaine in his garage or something like that but no the the drugs that this guy was caught in possession of was two joints this guy was carrying two joints worth of weed and his his sentence was eventually reduced but like not in the form of, of, of a celebration of common sense or anything like that. The dude did eight fucking years for that crime, right? Two joints of weed. I guarantee you there are people listening to this podcast who have more weed in their pockets than that and will never see behind, behind bars for it. And even if they were arrested for that possession, probably wouldn't even go to court for such a small amount of drugs. Um, it, it's absolutely crazy to me. Like, that punishment is so disproportionate to the crime itself and and just it seems to have no impact on society that like it's so it's just the idea of this being a crime against the state or against the the federal government of america to say this man holding two joints is a a, a failure on society to such an extent that we must take him out of society for eight and a half years before he can, uh, so that he can think about what he's done. Like, it's just crazy. Like, I think, I, I really, really do not understand how anyone can think that that is a sentence that's fitting for the crime. Um, and, and we also know that American prisons are often really violent and they're places where inmates are forced to join gangs, which are often segregated by race. Like, if you're a white guy who goes to prison, you, in, in a lot of prisons, you have to join a white power movement. You have to team up with, with neo-Nazi skinheads in order to survive. Like, you can't be a guy by yourself in prison. And on top of that, prison security guards, they're often really um, underpaid and overworked. There are lots of personal experience articles about prison wardens uh, online that are really worth the read to, to give you a sense of how little help they get from their governing bodies and how much they are kind of in over their heads, especially for the money that they're on. Um, and just this hostile environment in prison really hardens people and it fosters and breeds a criminal mentality. It's said many times in a, in a cliche form that prison is university for criminals. And I don't really see how you could think anything else would be the case when you look at American prisons and especially um, and I'm not saying this based on movies um, I'm saying it based on documentaries that I've watched and articles that I've read and everything every piece of available information about American prisons indicates these things to be true so it's um, I mean it, it is simply a bad system and it's not such a scary type of situation that it serves as a deterrent either in the same way that the death penalty doesn't serve as a deterrent like no criminal ever thinks to themselves like so imagine a a, a, a petty thug in in a ghetto right thinking to himself well I have evaluated the options available to me at this time and I am opting to abstain from crime I'm aware of the possibility that I may starve, I may be unable to feed my family, I may become a target for even more crime, I may be abandoned by my gang and subsequently left to fend for myself. Um, but prison is actually scarier than all of those things. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, nobody would think that. Every person who commits a crime believes that they're an outlier. 
that they're doing it for righteous and understandable reasons because that's the situation that they've been forced into by their environment. It's um, it, it, it's kind of a fact, as far as I know. Maybe some available evidence to dispute this, but um, it's it's certainly an intuitive conclusion to say that poverty and lack of education cause crime. Like, it, it, it's just, those things make perfect sense. Uh, but anyway, I talk about America all the fucking time, and that must be really exhausting to some people. So um, we'll move briefly away from America before we end up going back there at some point, um, and have a look at Norway, which is um, an especially interesting country for this kind of thing. Uh, they have the lowest reoffending rates in the world in Norway. And I read somewhere that in comparison to the UK, it's actually the way that they maintain their statistics is slightly different. And I, I read that this was a comment left on a, an article I was reading, uh, but I actually couldn't find any evidence to back that up. Uh, and it's very possible that I was looking in the wrong places. So if anyone does have anything to go against this, uh, notion that I'm about to talk about like please feel free to let me know like I, I'm well open to the literature uh, but anyway only 20% of people who leave a Norwegian prison will ever see the world from behind bars again um, their system is called restorative justice and I'd say to everyone to read the Wikipedia page for restorative justice because it's it's a really interesting concept and it's built around the idea of repairing the damage done by the crime instead of punishing the people who committed it and Norway's prison system is entirely built around rehabilitation uh, there's this island in Norway called Bastoy that's probably not how you pronounce it the O has one of those lines going through the middle of it and I don't know what way that inflects the pronunciation of the word but um, Bastoy is what I will call it and it has a maximum security prison that houses murderers and rapists and drug dealers and just very much the worst of the worst but it's not an Alcatraz setting on this island it's not a giant wall surrounded by spotlights or anything like that it's um it's not a barbed wire fortress with manned gun towers and barking german shepherds uh it, it's it's partially farmland it's partially a forest area and it's entirely peaceful it's been there for 35 years and it aims to embed these values of responsibility and accountability in its inmates and when ex-cons leave this prison, there is only a 16% chance that they'll ever commit another crime. I actually think I'm misreading that statistic. 16% of people who leave it will ever commit another crime. Does that mean that there's a 16% chance? I mean, I guess, I guess it kind of does, yeah. Um, but that's an insanely low statistic, especially when you consider that this is a maximum security prison and that the people who are there for things like murder and rape, right? It's very hard to reform people the more serious the crime gets. So for them to have such a low rate of reoffending is is really, really, um, really good. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better word. The inmates in this prison, um, they're really friendly with the guards. They farm for crops, they chop wood, they play poker, and they even have a recording studio. Their lives revolve around working and cooking and education. Um, they interweave all of these activities with the guards too. So they're kind of not left to fend for themselves in the way that American prisons would where they join gangs and things like that. They're sort of being coached back into society by interacting with people who get to leave the island and, and things like that so it, it's 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 pretty interesting but the main punishment here is their loss of liberty and their main focus is rehabilitation and the governor of this prison is actually a clinical psychologist which is a really cool idea because this guy is going to be aware of human behavior and he's going to know how behavior can can change in groups and how criminals can be manipulative and lots of things of that nature. The main thing that really interests me about this prison is that they don't view crimes as a moral failing on the part of the criminal. 
And this is a quote from Arne, Arne, Arne Wilson. Uh, he's the governor of this prison. He's the clinical psychologist. And he says, in closed prisons, we keep them locked up for some years and then let them back out. Not having had any real responsibility for working or cooking. Is that our direct, that's a, f in closed prisons, we keep them locked up for some years and then let them back out. Not having had any real responsibility for working or cooking. That doesn't make sense to me as a sentence. In the law, being sent to prison is nothing to do with putting you in a terrible prison to make you suffer. The punishment is that you lose your freedom. If we treat people like animals when they are in prison, they are likely to behave like animals. Here we pay attention to you as human beings. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to read because I feel like, to go back to my favorite place, America being so heavily influenced by Christianity must play a part in their criminal system. Um, I, I, I just assume it's, it's part of that context. Uh, Christians believe that people are born with sins. Like, like they literally believe in this concept of original sin. They also believe that people have a thing, what's called libertarian free will. And uh, that's kind of a key part of Christianity. And libertarian free will has nothing to do with libertarianism, the political ideology. Libertarian free will is this idea that people have complete agency over all of their thoughts. And in a Christian context, it means that they choose to do things, uh, even though they have the Bible as their reference point. So in that, in that guise, anybody who commits a crime must have done so knowing full well that God is watching. And that is a huge failing. And um, I think that that moral responsibility aspect is directly lifted from the Christian framework. Um, I don't know the full history of Norway as like a what what the country's leading religion is or anything like that but i get the feeling that this strongly liberal system of prison management is has no concern for uh, christianity whatsoever and it's interesting because norway only brought that system in uh, around the 1960s a very early 1970s and before that they had a high rate of reoffending they had a higher rate of crime in the actual country itself um, and they they attempted to reform it and I think they reformed it based on Sweden's prison system. I'm kind of just going by memory here for a lot of this. I don't have it in front of me. Um, but in America the opposite is true that they used to focus primarily on rehabilitation and it wasn't really working. Not a lot of people were being rehabilitated. Now obviously if you think 50 years ago uh, society's ability to rehabilitate somebody is not going to be as strong as it is now because of the leaps and bounds that we've made in clinical psychology and um, and different things like that. Uh, there's a TV show called Mindhunter that deals in the basically the creation of criminal psychology and if you watch that show it gives you a really good insight into how they viewed um, serial killers and psychopaths and things like that uh, before the um, for the intervention of criminal psychology. So if you imagine a world where you're attempting to rehabilitate criminals with no knowledge of criminal psychology, right, that's just not gonna work. And as far as I know, lobbyists on both the left and the right in the 1960s just said, this is ridiculous, we need to start punishing these criminals. That is the only way that we can go about doing this is that they need to be punished. Uh, so that was the leading idea at the time and that idea won out and that's what happened and that's where that's how we've gotten to where we are now with the American incarceration rate and how crazy it is and how everything is, is based around punishment. And I really think that, um, like Norway is an outlier, it's a good example. It's not a perfect argument against the American criminal system. Um, there are cases in America where judges leave their post as a judge in order to follow a career in politics, which is almost a conflict of interest in some aspects because if a judge delivers harsher sentences to petty criminals he can claim that he is tough on crime and use that as a flag to wave and win votes being tough on crime is a really important card to play in american politics and if you can prove that that's a thing that you do you're in with a much better shot of ending up in the hot seat there are lots of games like that in American politics that people have to play. Like there are things that you can and can't say in America, right? There has never been an atheist president in America because you just, you the number of votes 
that you would lose if you proclaimed yourself to be an atheist and the number of pitfalls that you expose yourself to falling into if you claimed that you were an atheist like can you imagine barack obama saying i am an atheist um or, or even if barack obama said i'm agnostic i don't necessarily believe in the traditional christian god that's lorded over people in the bible i just can't really see how uh, a system like that would work i don't really believe that it's anything other than narcissistic and things like that right the dude would get fucking slaughtered by every single like the, barack obama already gets attacked for not having strong family values in comparison to um presidents who or politicians who um identify as christian and things like that so like it's crazy you could never say that you're an atheist and become president even though barack obama probably is an atheist and donald trump is definitely definitely an atheist um but you just you can't say these things regardless of your true beliefs another good example of this is that abraham lincoln publicly stated that black people were genetically inferior to white people and i don't think he actually believed that because i mean his actions you know completely go against that notion he is the antithesis of a guy who believes in white supremacy um he was just playing a political game and most recently to go back to obama barack obama was essentially a gay rights activist in his youth and he claimed in 2007 that marriage should be between a man and a woman when he was running for office and we can pretty much guarantee that that was never his actual opinion on the matter um, because again that goes against the way that he behaved in his youth and it goes against the fact that uh, America abolished the um, the legal um, barriers preventing gay marriage under the Obama administration so um, when you think about all these things just the idea of prison reform in America is a very difficult concept to attempt to introduce and it's because of reasons like that um, nobody is gonna vote for the guy who says the criminals should be treated with affection <laughs> because you're just opening yourself up to a counter argument of this guy loves criminals um, I, I remember like Donald Trump's uh, absolutely chaotic quote fest of a campaign that he had running for office and he said things like we should keep torturing people um, to try and get the information from them and if they don't have the information well a lot of them deserve to be tortured anyway and I, I don't know if he said that to thunderous cheers but he definitely said it to the approval of everybody watching him and um, I, I get like that's that's not necessarily a slight on anybody if you believe that that's fine but just the idea that somebody deserves to be tortured um, I don't know I, I find that quite uncomfortable um, it's, it's a weird thing uh, because if I you know if you say like oh you should be rehabilitated instead of punished um, people just get very angry at this concept and I'm not saying that there are no genuine psychopaths in the world and that there are no people who do not deserve to die. Um, like, I don't really feel like I could ever possibly even be an authoritative figure in that kind of argument. Like, that's, that's just simply not my place. Um, but the way people view things like responsibility and um, the way people look at petty criminals especially who do things like the, the quintessential example of the man who steals a loaf of bread to feed his starving family um, and people say oh why don't they just do this and why don't they just do this and they don't really understand the position that they're coming from I, I, I just thought of this story and I don't know how relevant this is um, but I'm gonna try and and uh, and metaphorically slide this in here when I was um, a few years ago my girlfriend was learning how to drive and she could only drive when she had an experienced driver in the car. She was going through that phase of um, L plates on the car uh, for a learner driver. And um, we were driving through Dublin city on the keys 
and it that can be really stressful for new drivers because it's this area like this was on a Sunday uh, lots of traffic in town and there's lots of traffic lights set up and there's also this like a tram that runs through the city and it, it can it can be just confusing and stressful and she dropped me off um, I was gonna get a bus back to where I live and and she dropped me off on the keys so I hopped out of the car and as she was driving away she stalled right and this guy behind her just boop and it's like I, I got so fucking angry at this guy I was on the footpath walking away as it happened and then she took off and, and then the car drove and I swear to god if this if this car if this guy's car did not move I was gonna go over there and take the keys out of his ignition and throw them into the river Liffey I could not believe the fucking ignorance of this guy that he he beeped at a learner driver for stalling right um I cannot get over this notion, right, that this man is a fully capable driver uh, who has no L plates on his car and he sees a car with L plates on it and he thinks to himself, I want to live in a world where everybody is as capable a driver as me and yet I am going to beep a learner driver in the early stages of their driving career uh, for not being able to do this one thing. Like, it's such a fucking ridiculous idea to do that. Like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I want to live in a world where everyone is as good as me, but I'm going to get angry at them when they haven't even had the time to develop that kind of skill. It's fucking ludicrous. I feel like everyone has... has I feel like when it comes to personal responsibility and crime and the idea of punishment over rehabilitation, people have that exact notion. It's like... Um, there's a famous quote that's like you judge everybody else by their actions but you judge yourself by your thoughts and that's pretty much the case with people who favor punishment over rehabilitation and like i understand that murder and rape and and these kinds of of crimes are so horrible and that nobody is comfortable with the idea of a, a person who's murdered their family member being granted access to a recording studio or playing poker with prison guards and things like that and i like i don't really have a, a fully fleshed out argument against that um the only thing i will say is that when some crime like that happens say somebody somebody murders someone and a, a politician or a lobbyist will step up and say I believe that this man could be rehabilitated and coached back into society. And then people turn around and say, what if it was your wife that he killed, right? This idea of, of introducing um, like a personal layer to the argument is counterproductive. Like that, it, that is the antithesis of what a society is about. A society means that it's about everyone. It's not unique to the individual. Um, I wouldn't begrudge an individual, you know, crying out for a harsh sentence on somebody or crying out for um, some form of punishment like that. I don't really believe in the concept of revenge all that much. Um, like there are towns in in the northern regions of Canada where bear attacks are so rampant that citizens and residents leave their cars unlocked so that in the event of anyone being attacked by a bear they can run uh open a open the nearest car door and get in and, and you know hopefully be safe right if somebody gets killed by a bear in one of those towns nobody is going to blame the bear and no one's going to hold the bear morally responsible for doing the thing that it has been genetically programmed to do. But in a society where people like Robert Alton Harris like exist, right? Like this guy has pretty much been genetically programmed to be a violent person and to behave like a violent person. And there are all sorts of cognitive biases that people have that they have to overcome in their daily life. And like there are lots of like I think a lot of men have a natural, uh, well, probably women too, right? Um, I'm just going to speak from my own like uh, personal experience here. 
there's a concept called mansplaining, right? Um, and I, it's a fucking horrible, stupid, sexist name, and I hate it. And it's the type of thing that when I see a man explain something to a woman and the woman is like, oh, you mansplained it, like that annoys me. But I also have this urge in me to explain things to women that I don't have the same way with men. And it's really weird and I fight it all the time and I don't do it, I'm, I'm not a mansplainer. But like, if a woman doesn't understand something, I am, f or, or if, if a woman even um, acts as if she might be confused about some element of something, like, I get this urge to go straight in there and be like, listen, this is how it works. Like I remember when I was working in a bank, I was, I was working in um, anti-money laundering in a bank and there was this girl in there who was incredibly um, politically opinionated. And she was saying like, Donald Trump is 100% gonna win. He said, he's hitting all of these notes that people wanna hear. Um, the, the policy changes that he's called for are things that the Republican base has been crying out for for years. He's appealing to all of these people. And I was just like, just like the absolute fucking cunt of a person that I am. I was like, listen, that's not going to happen. Hillary Clinton will absolutely win. Donald Trump will, will be referred to as the, as the joke candidate that he is. And I was thinking to myself, like, she, you know, she knows nothing about politics, right? Meanwhile, guy friends of mine said that Trump was going to win. And, like, at no point did I condescend to them at that level. And uh, it's crazy. I, I, I didn't actually say these things to that girl. I thought it in my head, and I, I said it to my coworker. I was like, this girl, like, what? And uh, I just, I wouldn't do that to a man, right? <laughs> and that's, that, that's, I hate that about myself. I hate that thing, but um, it, there's some natural, there, there's some truth to that, right? I'll use the Jordan Peterson um, concept. There is some truth to the idea that men condescendingly explain things to women because I've done it myself and, and I fought the urge to do it, right? So I know about this bias and fighting that bias is part of what makes me become a better person. I think similarly people have racial biases, like they've studied in babies, like white babies are far more likely to interact with other white babies because they're evolutionarily programmed to follow their own tribe and things like that. Like there are racial biases within people that exist and being a good person is overcoming those biases. Um, so, so like there, there are lots of things that we're predisposed to that we don't fully understand that we have to fight and that society coaches us to fight. So when there are people in the world, like the Robert Alton Harris case, uh, like there are people who just do not have a choice. Like they, they don't make some kind of moral decision to be a terrible person. And I feel like it is, it is a civic and, and societal responsibility to help these people and, and to shape them into somebody that can fit into society because um, somebody with such a, a huge um, violent disposition, you know, something has gone wrong somewhere, a lot of the time. And, and again, there are psychopaths. There are people who have lived perfectly normal lives, who've had, uh, an, you know, upstanding parents and a perfectly moral, ethical upbringing, who are fully aware of the differences between right and wrong, but they don't care and they will commit horrendous crimes regardless of that and, and irrespective of their upbringing uh, and, and like those people should be taking taken out of society like and there are some people who cannot be reformed and I think in those events you have to move to um, like what's the word you, you just have to remove those people um, and not necessarily isolation either like there are so many stories about solitary confinement and the effect that that has on the psyche and how just horrible that is to somebody's brain and, and how how many lights that turns off when it comes to that person's ability to ever recover from that and, and stuff like that so um yeah i i don't really think i have anything else to say um there were a few ideas that i had floating around in my head but um i, I can't really think of What's crazy to me is that there is already this notion in the West, in, in, in countries like Ireland and England and uh, America, that prisoners are already treated too fairly, uh, which, which is just insane. I saw there's this um, left-leaning opinion-based news site in Ireland called thejournal.ie 
and it's not um, it's not a, a wire news service or anything like that. It's largely based around opinions and um, reporting things from wire news um, outlets, and then sort of repackaging it a little bit. Um, but I, I read it sometimes just because the comment section on it gives me that really weird loss of faith in humanity that oddly makes me want to read it even more. Uh, just that really weird like social media addiction that people have where social media confirms to them that the world is as terrible as they think it is. Um, but there was some story about prisoners' rights because there was this... Um, and I can't remember, I read this like during work, I should have been working, and this was just something that I was kind of partly paying attention to, but there was some criminal who had been in and out of the um, of the Irish prison system. He had spent multiple time in, in different jails and things like that, and he had so many points about his human rights that he was denied while he was in prison, stuff like having to piss into a bucket and... Um, his like his meals were very close to a toilet like all, like all of these just little horrible things and the comments were just filled with people saying like this is ridiculous you shouldn't have any rights you forfeit those rights when you commit the crime um in, in my they should be forced to eat out of the same bucket that they piss in they should like all of these different things right and um, there was one guy posted a picture and he was like this is the inside of an Irish prison cell doesn't look so bad to me and you click on it and it's this room um, it's it's uh, like it's, it's a very small room it's got a single bed with a, a neat duvet on it there's a TV in the corner there's a desk with a lamp and there's a pen and paper right and I reverse image searched this picture to find out if this was in fact the inside of an Irish prison and what it was was a fucking room to rent in London <laughs> in one of these really like uh, high priced area like I don't, like Mayfair or, or some fucking place like that in London it was this boxed room that had been previously featured on a uh, forum like the student room somewhere like that and it was to say the London prices for rent are shocking two grand for this room it looks like a prison cell and this guy saw that and thought to himself, does look like a prison cell. I am going to use that as an example of it being a prison cell and say that it is too good to be a prison cell. And it's, just, it's fucking crazy. Like this guy went through all this effort in his attempt to prove, in air quotes, that Irish prisons are actually way better than we think they are. And uh, it's crazy. I don't know what drives this bias. I don't know where these stories even come from. Uh, I've had so many colleagues and, and, and friends just talk about how prisoners are treated too well in our society. They shouldn't actually get paid for any of the labor that they do in, in prison. They shouldn't have a clean slate and new money when they come out of prison. And it's like, you really have to ask yourself, like, what the fuck do you think the purpose of prison is? Like, if you think that the idea of committing a crime should just eradicate you from society and give you no chance of ever coming back into it because of the things that you've done. Like, I, I just, I don't feel like you understand what a society is actually supposed to be about. And um, that's really strange. And, and I find that primitive mindset to be very pervasive in, in this country amongst the people that I talk to. Um, like, and I, I mean, even in educated people, like I'm not saying that my friends are morons. Um, and I, like a lot of my friends would agree with me too, but there are people who just don't believe that prisoners should have any rights. And uh, it's, it's very strange. Um, I've said this before on my show, um, I got assaulted in the city center like five or six years ago. Was it that long ago? Fuck. Couldn't have been. Yeah, I think it was. 2012, I think it was. Jesus Christ, that is insane. Someone find the, the video. I did a Grand Theft Auto video about it. Um, GTA 5, I got my face smashed in, it was called. Um, I'm going to quickly look that up because uh, I'm a good podcaster who does good stuff. Because I cannot believe that that's six years ago. Uh, GTA 5, I got my face smashed in. I might have actually taken that video down. No, uh, four years ago. It was in 2013. Fuck me. Um, 
so anyway, I was I was just walking down the street with my friend, and uh, five guys assaulted me. Not the fast food restaurant, but like five men uh, who were so clearly on drugs, uh, they just beat the shit out of me. And um, I think I might have even said it in the video at the time that I don't even care that the police, like I, that, that I didn't even file a police report, and that the police had said that there was basically no chance that they would ever catch these guys or anything. Um, I have no quest for revenge when it comes to that. I have no bloodthirst. My only concern is that this would happen to someone else. Like, I want these guys to be in jail because I don't want them to go around beating up other people. Um, and, like, the damages, that that was four and a half years ago. Um, that still affects me to this day, and not in any, like, social anxiety sense, but um, from getting my nose broken, I have what's called a deviated septum. And I've spoken about this before, but I can only basically breathe through one nostril, and um, I'm gonna have to get surgery for that, which is gonna cost me like the guts of six and a half grand or something like that. So um, that incident has caused me nothing but pain. Like there's not a single positive outcome from it. I didn't get to file a police report. I got no government aid, no money from the state. There's no lawsuit like there, there is no accountability or responsibility and there is no compensation for the victim um and and if anything it's it's like it has cost me basically seven grand um to get the shit beaten out of me by five people and like that's just that's ridiculous um but i still think you know for me to go and try and seek revenge for that would just be ridiculous and uh it's really funny my cousin dara who has been on this podcast before messaged me like the week after and he was like i'm coming up to dublin w w with my baseball bat tell me who these guys are <laughs> i was like i don't fucking know who these guys are but even if i did i definitely wouldn't tell you if that was your intention plus they would fuck him up anyway um he's, he's a very strong guy but like there's five of them and one of him so let's be real but um yeah, that's, uh, I think that's it for this episode. I hope I have given you some kind of insights um, in, into the way that I think. And uh, maybe... Um, I've gotten lots of comments recently. Not recently. I'll say over the last six months, people have been very open with me in, um, in the direct messaging uh, systems on both Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I've gotten some really, really lovely messages from listeners about... Um, the Midnight Hour and how much the podcast has done for them and uh, I've had so many people tell me stuff like in the earlier episodes I really helped people um, shape their ideas and um, and you know open up their worldview a little bit more and things like that and, and like to be honest I I don't really think as I said at the start of this episode I'm not actually the man for that but like I'm so happy that people are saying that about me because that's such an absolutely awesome compliment to get um but it's reading those comments i got one especially like very recently um just before last week's episode that made me want to do more stuff like that because i'm kind of sick of turning on this podcast and ranting about donald trump and, and, and you know stuff like that so um i think it's good to look at other areas um i think I think I will do an episode about prisons, the insides of prisons and dangerous prisons in the world because um, that's something that kind of fascinates me and I've been re doing a lot of reading about that recently so um, I, I might like seek to add a few more layers to this kind of episode and I'd also like to look into the whole prison for profit model that's happening in America at the moment because I, I think that that is, is possibly even worse than like some of the stuff that I spoke about in this episode so um that's that also real quick before i end i just clicked my fingers um i i'm thinking about doing a special on arson wenger because um he's after he's, he's announced that he's leaving at the end of the season and um arson wenger is a, a really really interesting character for me and I, I don't ask me why but i find him so much more interesting than sir alex ferguson i feel like i've had so many more um divisive opinions of my own about Wenger I've I've loved him I've hated him um I, I couldn't stand him I've had sympathy for him uh, and I think he he's like just an incredible long-standing figure in football and and just someone who I watch with such intrigue 
and 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 confusing and and confusion and, and like various other things and he's just he's really cool so if there is anybody out there who wants to contribute to that episode in some way um arsenal fan or no arsenal fan let me know because i think i could make a a, a really cool kind of arsene wenger special um to release within the next few weeks hopefully before he retires but um i'll, I'll be reaching out to a few arsenal fans that i know to try and do that because it's um it's something that I, I just I have so much interest in the Arsenal fan base and their uh, their really strange relationship with Arsene Wenger and um, I think that the narrative is going to change even as as soon as he retires. So I want to get that episode done while the chance is still there. So um, yeah, that's the end of this. Uh, Thanks a lot for listening. I really appreciate it. And thanks so much for the people um, leaving comments, you know, telling me to, to keep doing this and stuff like that. Like it's really um, audio based platforms only are actually very, very hard to gauge feedback on, especially when they're based across multiple channels. I'm sure I've said all this shit before, um, but I do. I really appreciate it when you use your voices and, and when you leave comments and stuff like that, because it's... Um, I, I mean it's things like that that kind of keep you going and keep you motivated and stuff so um, I really appreciate that anyway I've been El De Niro thanks for listening <laughs>